That's what I love to see. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We started a new series last week entitled, Let's Build Something Big. Let's build something big. And the main point last week was simply this, that God has created you for more. Hey, maybe you don't see it that way. Maybe you're looking at your circumstances. Maybe you're going based upon your past. Maybe you're going based upon what people tell you. Maybe you're going based upon what statistics say. Whatever you, however you view it, I want you to understand that God did create you for more. Uh, well, what about you that, you know, I'm doing good. You know, I'm blessed. I'm doing great. My career's going good. My family's good. It gets gooder. That's right. It gets gooder than that. Amen. I know that's not proper English, but that's what we do at Church of the Bridge. That's right. And after it gets gooder, it gets gooder. So just anyway, right? But, I, but last week we started looking at this idea of building something big and realizing that God has created us for more through the story of a man named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is not just a story about a guy named Nehemiah. It's not just a story about the people of Israel. Um, it's not just a story that we read in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's your story. It's your story. It's our story because God has something great for you and I. See, God has called you to do something big. Say that with me. God has called me to do something big. I mean really big. I mean really, 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 really big. Okay, some of you weren't listening because that was only seven reallys. But anyway, <laughs> it's all good. Yes, really big. And what we saw last week um, as we were digging into the first chapter and a half of Nehemiah was that Nehemiah faced some initial challenges. But the greatest challenges that he had to face were his own. His own complacency, his own complaints, his own fear of the king. We saw last week that Nehemiah took three months from the time he knew what God had told him he was supposed to do to the time where he faced what he thought was his biggest obstacle, the king. And so what we saw last week, in addition to our main point, was that Nehemiah discovered, and it behoove us to discover it ourselves too, is that he discovered that when you face your obstacles, you open the door for God to remove them. And I want you to know that no matter what obstacle you might be facing, no matter what challenges may come your way, even as you're walking with Christ, because look, it, it's great. A, a walk with Christ is a great life, but that doesn't mean that it's exempt of challenges. That doesn't mean that as you're pushing and pressing towards the mark of your high calling, what God has called you to, that you won't face trials. And yet, in the midst of that, what we see is that God is faithful to his plan. The invitation of God to build something big in partnership with him is not without challenges. But as we'll see in today's text, the challenges are not without a great reward. And there is a great reward for you and I. I remember growing up, uh, my mother used to, we used to have this uh, place called Woolworth. Anybody remember Woolworths back in the day? My, my wife loves Woolworth because of the burgers they used to make um, and the milkshakes. I loved Woolworth because of the toys I was able to see. I say that I was able to see because uh, raising six kids by herself, you know, toys were a commodity growing up. I remember one Christmas, uh, my mom says, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I want a transformer. 
and she bought me one of those big light-up robots that you put the battery in and you just let it go and it just kind of moves around. And for me, I was just like, I guess that's my transformer, <laughs> right? But I remember one day in particular that we, we were in Woolworths, in Woolworths, and uh, my mother was shopping for some stuff, and, and I was used to growing up um, saying, hey, mom, can I have this? And it was like, we don't got money for that, right? So I, that, that was part of my mindset. But I remember this one time we were in Woolworth and I was, we were walking wherever she was going to, to look at some stuff and we walked by the toy aisle and I saw this toy that I became infatuated with. I mean, it just caught my attention. I was fixated on it. I, I mean, we, we kept walking and I just said, hey mom, I'm going to go to the bathroom and came around and came back around. I was just looking at it. And it was this big, beautiful car. And I was like, I want it. I want it. You ever, you ever have one of those moments with your kids or when you were a kid where you said, if you just get me this toy, I promise you'll never have to buy me another toy ever in my life. That was me that day, right? You ever been in that? I promise I'll, I'll do all my homework. You'll never get a complaint from the teacher again. I'll clean my room every single day for the rest of my life. I'll cook, mom. I'll clean. It was one of those moments that I was having. And so I was literally begging my mother for this car. And so she said, all right, take it. Just take it. Right? So I take the car. I'm all excited. I want to open it. She's like, you can't open that here. Right, so we get to the, to the register, she pays for it, she puts it in the bag, and we're walking home, I'm carrying all these bags, and I'm just eyeing this toy car um, in the bag, and as soon as we get home, I think I just dropped the bags right there in front of the door and just ran to my room, pulled the toy out, went to my room, and I began to take it apart, right, and I'm, and I'm so excited to see this car and to be able to play with it, I was like probably about seven years old or so, and so I take it out, and it, and it kind of looked like one of these, right? And so as I open the package, I'm excited, and I'm like, yes, I can't wait to... What is this? And I'm like, this ain't my car. It's not even the right color. Where's all the detail? What are all these pieces? I got to put the tires on this thing? And I began to look at it, and I just became overwhelmed with this feeling of despair that it wasn't the car that I wanted. I felt duped. I felt lied to. But what I didn't realize then is that everything that was in the box was exactly what I saw in this picture. And what I failed to realize is that while the picture's true, it was up to me to put the parts together. Now, let me tell you why I share that with you. Because as you'll see today, if you're looking for a big idea today, something to wrap your head and your heart around, I want you to consider this, that God has given you a great big picture. It's the gospel, and it's your part in the gospel. It's what God has destined. As a matter of fact, what Scripture says is he predestinated you for Intended just for you, specifically just you. As a matter of fact, if you don't step into that role, that will never get done. Because God intended it for you. Now for some of us, that seems like a really big idea. Too big. Really, really big. 
it's frustrating even to even think that God would have something so great for me. For some of us, we're just like, well, what is it? For some of us, we're just frustrated because we, we know what God is calling us to, but it's just like whatever the pieces and the parts are, feel so overwhelming that we feel like I can never get there. But God is giving you the entire package. And so the big idea for you is that it's time for you to begin to put the parts together. To put it all together. It's up to you to put it all together. You don't believe me. I'm going to show you from Scripture that we'll see that through the life of Nehemiah that God calls us into partnership. And his part is a great one. But that great plan can't come to pass if you and I don't respond in faith and cooperate with the truth that we see. If we don't begin to pull the parts together and build something big in union with God. Scripture says, you are a co-laborer with God in Christ. Scripture says that you are a joint heir with, in God, in Christ, that you have everything that is Jesus's. It's yours. You have that. And so we have the full package. The question is, what are we doing with it? And so for me, it wasn't until later on that week or so, a couple of days after that, that my neighbor's cousin who happened to be visiting sees the box, and he goes, you've got everything you need right here. It even came with the paint and the stickers and everything. And what I realized was that it was a model car, and I just had to put the pieces together. So that's where today we're going to find Nehemiah as we get started. And that's where we're going to find ourselves today, that God has given us a picture. He's given us his entire word as the manual. You're not without instruction, but you and I must put it all together. And so turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Nehemiah 2, verses 8, uh, 10 through 18. And we're picking up on the verse that we left off on last week. And I promise you, you ready for this? I'm going to leave you on another cliffhanger this week. We're not going to complete this story today. It gets better. Amen. It gets gooder. Amen. Right? So, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10 says this. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official had heard about this, heard about what? Heard that there was somebody in the house. There was somebody in the land that was interested and was going to build what God had called them to, to build a great wall to build up the fortifications to the city, their New York City, so to speak, so that the people can gather and come together as one. Watch what happens. That when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem, this is Nehemiah speaking, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. And so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, 
I turned back and re-entered the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king said to me. And so upon face value, it would seem that Nehemiah, Nehemiah was well on his way to undertaking what God had placed in his heart. I mean, after all, God gave him the vision. God told him to do it. Uh, Nehemiah had permission from a foreign king who favored him. Um, and, and on top of that, that king not only told him, go ahead and do it, that king gave him letters which told all the people of Israel's enemies, you've got to let them go through your land. As a matter of fact, he gave them letters which provided for them all the resources they needed to build back the wall and the cities and the temple gates and all that. And in addition to that, Nehemiah was given an army that would go before them to protect them so that they knew that the king meant business, that they were allowed to do this. And so it would seem Nehemiah's got everything he needs. But verse 17 clues us into exactly what Nehemiah saw. Now, I'm going to break this down for you a bit. But in verse 17, we read that Nehemiah says, you see the trouble we are in. Now, what's interesting there is that the word trouble there speaks of adversity. It speaks of people at odds. It also speaks of wickedness, that like bad things were happening. And here's what else it speaks of, noise. It's, it, it describes a noisome environment. So have you ever been in one of those uh, Thanksgiving uh, uh, celebrations, certainly none of you, where you walk in and the music is so loud and the TV's on that when you're talking to somebody, you're just like, and they're like, what? I can't hear you. And when you get face to face, you're kind of shouting at each other, right? You're like, how you doing? How are the kids? Oh my God, it's so good to see you. So it was so noisy. But what was it that they were hearing? What was it that they were processing in their understanding? Well, this word trouble here tells us they were so far off, so off base from what God's promises declared. They had forgotten they were living in ruins, and they were okay with it. They had settled in desolation, in destruction. And the Bible says that Nehemiah says, we're in trouble. We're at odds. We're doing evil things that are against what God has told us to do. And we can't hear what God has to say. That's what he's saying. He further goes on to say that Jerusalem lies in ruins. In other words, it was a wasteland. It was dry. It was desolate. So while there were plenty of people there, the truth is that nobody was for each other. Nobody was looking out for the other. It was kind of like me, my four, and no more. Just leave me alone in my pile of heap of rubble and let me be. And so the people were disjointed. And so there was desolation. Nothing good was coming out of this place. And then lastly, in verse 17, we see that Nehemiah says, let us build up, which tells us that their protection was completely stripped and destroyed. 
there was nothing but rubble left. Verse 12 gives us further insight by telling us that there were no other mounts. Now, uh, what we see here is this, that Nehemiah shows up with a group of people. But none of the mounts, no, nobody else is mounted upon a beast. It could have been a camel, could have been a horse, it could have been a donkey, whatever, a mule. Whatever it was, if you read this in context, what you'll see is that Nehemiah, they get to a place in the city where there's so much rubble and heap that you can't even walk in there and what he's mounted on can't get through. So it's really, really, really bad. And then in verse 10, we see that in addition to all this, there are people who are very displeased with the idea that they build the wall again. So Nehemiah gets there, and it's bad. The Holman, the Holman Bible Atlas puts it this way based on the original language. He saw a city long on history and short on prospects. He witnessed a city whose populace seemed more like scavengers than citizens. In other words, Nehemiah accepted God's invitation to build something so big. But when he got there, it probably seemed beyond the realm of possibility. See, Nehemiah had a picture. And the picture looked good, real good. But when Nehemiah gets there, what he discovers is pieces. He discovers pieces. Now, I don't know about you, but I can remember when we first came to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, me and my mom, the people that would come to our house and then when we go to church, they were always smiling. It looked big and shiny. Everything was great. And the truth is that it really was. But there was something that we weren't understanding. And so when we accepted Jesus, I hoped, I actually believed that the very next day when we would wake up, that everything was different. Everything had changed. But the truth is that the violence and the abuse that happened in my home from a drunk stepfather for a season continued. The dysfunction in our communication continued. The anger that swelled up within me and caused me to go on this huge downward spiral for years, it continued. And the truth is this, that it wasn't, the problem wasn't that Christ hadn't provided the change we needed, because he did. He did. The problem was that we didn't know that we played a part in that change all coming together. We didn't understand that as we sought God, it also called for us to partner with God Amen. to build Amen. what he's called us to. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you're holding some pieces. Hey, maybe it doesn't look like that for you. Maybe things are good, but there's just a lot of moving parts. And you're trying to see how all the parts fit. Maybe you just don't know what, you don't know how to get to this point. Well, I've got good news for you. I've got real good news for you. That no matter what you see here, there is a greater picture that God is displaying to you if you will take the time to understand it, to see it. And so I thank God that you're here because maybe you've never thought of your life that way. 
Maybe you've settled for rubble. Well, I want you to know that out of the midst of rubble can come something really great if you will seek God and understand the part you play in this process. Amen? Amen. And so in verses 17 and 18, we see that Nehemiah tells, he finally confronts the leaders and the religious people, and he tells them, we've got big problems. This is really, really bad. And in verse 18, Nehemiah also tells them something else. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of God that was on me and what the king had said to me. In other words, Nehemiah, while everyone else saw rubble, Nehemiah saw walls. Listen closely. You might see rubble, but what you fail to realize is that the Bible says, God says that he takes the base things, the foolish things, another version puts it, and he says, and he uses them to confound the wise. In other words, God takes what no one expects is possible or useful to build something great, and he takes that very thing, he takes you, and he makes so something, so, so, something so grand out of your life that people are just left scratching their head. Don't question and don't feel bad when people begin to look at your life and say, man, you seem to be doing real good. Don't feel bad about who's doing that in your life. God has great plans for your life. You're called to build something big with your life, through your life, in your community, in your home, in your workplace, in ministry, in the kingdom of God. You are destined for great things. The question is, will you begin to put the pieces together? If what you see is rubble, let me tell you what God says about when he sent Jesus into your life. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've got good news for you too. This is God's will for your life. Listen closely. Isaiah 61 Verses 1 through 3 says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. In other words, he's chosen me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Listen to what Jesus, the role he plays in your life. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of his splendor. I want you to get the beauty of the imagery of what Jesus came for us all. Not just for you, Christian, but for the entire world. I want you to see the imagery. God says that Jesus came and that what he's given us is a crown of beauty. Now, a crown is meant to announce royalty. But watch what he takes in exchange. You can take a piece of paper and you can tear it up 
into as many pieces as you want, and you can take some tape if you take time and put it back together. But that's not what we give Jesus. That's not what Christ has taken from us. The Bible says that he gives us a crown of beauty for ashes. You know what ashes represent? Something that's utterly destroyed and can't be put back together. And that's God's purpose and plan for your life. To take the ashes, the heap, the rubble that has been built up within your life independent of God. You might be looking at your financial situation. You might be looking at your living situation. And you might say, I'm good. I don't need Jesus. Let me tell you something. Every one of those things will fail. They will falter. You can possess it all and live with nothing at all. And so what we see is that he gives us beauty. So here's my point with that. You, believer, you who don't know Jesus, every one of us, we have no need to hold on to ashes when God has provided us beauty in its place. Beauty. Beauty. God has given you his very best. He loves you. And so as a result of his ability to see through eyes of faith and a heart set upon what God had promised him, Nehemiah's confidence and resolve served to encourage and pull and put the pieces together as the people proclaimed, let's start building. Let's start building. So up until this point, here's what we learn. That God provides the plan, but you must put the pieces together through steps of faith. That's our response. God, this is what your word says about my marriage. God, this is what your word says about my household. God, this is what your word says about my finances. God, this is what your word says about my past. God, this is what your word says about my future. God, this is what your word says according to your promises. The question is, will you look to the plan or will you look to the ashes? We we got to really consider the part we play in this. And so we're going to turn now to Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 19 through 20. How many of you know that putting together the pieces requires addressing challenges along the way. I've been learning that or I've been reminded of that again and again over these last several weeks as I've been doing all these renovations in my home. There's always something that comes up. And somewhere along the way, if I'm to complete what I started, I've got to address these challenges. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, let's see what it says. It says, But when Sambalat the Horonite... Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, says Nehemiah, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And so I want to point something out to you that as soon 
as you start taking steps of faith towards building something big with God, resistance is going to come. It's going to happen. It can be within your ranks. It can be outside your ranks. It can be someone real close to you. It can be someone who doesn't know you at all. But no matter what, you're destined to make it. Some things to consider for our lives based on Nehemiah's response when these enemies show up. Your success is God's part of the building process. I'm going to say that again. Your success is God's part of the building process. Now, your part is to start building. Listen closely. God, the Bible says that if God is for you, who can be against you? Right? The Bible says that God predestined you unto good works. Right? The Bible says that God shaped you and formed you uniquely. Jeremiah puts it this way. It says that you're fearfully. In other words, you were built, you were made with great care. And it says that you were wonderfully made. It, that speaks of uniqueness, a, a, a masterpiece. And so and the, Ephesians even goes on to say that you are God's masterpiece. And so what I want you to begin to see is this, that how could God intend for you to fail if you are his very best creation? That's not God's plan for your life. God's plan, God's part in this plan is your success. But your part is to build it. It's to build it. The second thing I want you to see up until this point is this, that to do what God has called you to do, to build something big, you must know that it is your right to build something big. Let me, let me show you. Let's go back to verse 20. Notice that uh, Nehemiah's response to his enemies is, is, the, is this. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. He says, we, his servants, will start rebuilding. See, that's our part. But as for you, watch what he's saying to his enemies. He says, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem. In other words, this is none of your business. And watch what he goes on to say. He says, and you have no claim or historic right to it. You know what Nehemiah is doing? Nehemiah is exercising the authority that he's received from God. Now, let me tell you something, believer. Let me tell you something, child of God. Let me tell you something, you who are hearing this message today, whoever you are, that God's intention is for you to enjoy his very best. And there are going to be times where there are going to be naysayers that are going to come your way. There are going to be people that are going to try and knock you off your praise of God. There are people that are going to discredit or try to discredit what the Word says and the changes that are happening in your life. There'll be family, there'll be friends, there'll be lovers. It could be your own spouse. It can be your ver the very person that sits next to you in church who throws in your face are things when you make mistakes but in the midst of that what you must understand what we must understand is this no my God has destined me for success and despite what you might say or what might be coming my way you have no right nor do you play a part in what God has destined me to do Isaiah 54, verse 17, puts it this way. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And we can all get excited about that. But watch the second half of it. 
Watch the same. See, so here's God's success for your life. No weapon formed against you shall or can prosper. Here's the second half of that. Here's our part. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You shall tear it down. You shall speak truth against it. And it cannot stand in your life. There are some of us, we've allowed strongholds to take a, take a hold in our mind. And we believe this is my lot in life. I'm destined to struggle. My kids are crazy. I can't make it. I, I, all I know is poverty. All I know is hardship. God can't be for me. Why isn't God answering my prayers? And what you don't realize is this. That it is your job to take the truth of God's word and say, I am not destined to live in poverty because God is my success. I am created for greater things. I am God's masterpiece. I am the head and not the tail. I am above only and never beneath. I can't fail because God is for me. I love the last half of verse 17 in Isaiah 54. It says, this is the heritage. You know what that's talking about? Listen, it's talking about your right. He says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. You know what the scripture's saying there? It is your right, because you are right with God. Because while you might make mistakes, that cannot undo what Christ has done for you and I. While you might fall short, he's still faithful when you're unfaithful. While you may have a past, guess what? He has a future for you and a present today. You just got to take a hold of that present, receive, open up the box, and enjoy God's best for your life. That's good preaching, Pastor. And so it is your right from God to succeed, but you must enforce it. By the word of God that you believe, you must declare it. You must stand up in the righteousness that's yours in Christ and declare what the promises of God say. You know, it's interesting, but the book of Revelation reveals, uh, John is, you know, he's, he's getting this revelation from, from, from the Lord. And, and John testifies and he says, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony. Satan has plans for your life, but guess what? He can only speak lies. And you know how you combat a lie? With truth. You know how you make Satan of ill effect, of no effect in your life? With truth. Believe the truth. Know the truth. Declare the truth. The scriptures reveal that the day is going to come where people are going to look at Satan and they're going to go, wait, is this the guy that made the nations tremble? This pipsqueak? This punk? You mean to tell me that all this time I was afraid of him? I was giving power to him? Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. The only way you can empower Satan in your life. Notice that I, 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 I didn't say that he has power. The only way that you can empower Satan in your life is when you believe something that's contrary to his word. That's right. That's right. That's right. When you believe contrary to God's word, guess what you do? You believe the lie, you believe it is truth, and you make mistakes. But that's not God's plan for your life. Amen? That's not God's plan for your life. 
And so in Nehemiah 3, and we're not going to read chapter 3, but what we see is that the people that were living amongst the heaps of rubble in Jerusalem begin the process of rebuilding the walls and the gates. And I just want to point something out to you from their example, that God never calls you to build something big alone. He never calls you to build something big alone. This is an important truth for us to internalize because oftentimes when God calls us, our first response is, how am I going to do this? And we exclude God and the very resources that he's placed all around us. It reminds me in Matthew 14 where Jesus um, has this encounter. Uh, He's got this big plan, right? He's got this big miracle that he wants to perform. And so the Bible tells us in Matthew 14 that he had been teaching the people all day long. And so all these masses are following him and uh, and he sees uh, that, that they're weary. And one of the disciples has this great idea in his mind. He says, hey, Jesus, I got a really big idea, really good idea. Send all the people away so they go get something to eat and we can have some alone time. Right? And Jesus says, no, you feed them. You don't have to send them away. You feed them. And so the Bible says that Philip, one of the disciples, says to him, hey, Jesus, all the money that we got, not even a year's worth of wages is enough to feed all these people. Right? And then Nathaniel comes over and says, hey, we got this little boy. He's got five pieces of bread and two fishes. But what's that amongst so many people who have need? And the Bible says that Jesus looks upon them and he says, give me the bread and the fish. Notice that he didn't even ask him for the money. He said, just give me the bread and the fish. Right? Verse 19 says, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Another version puts it this way, that he broke the bread and he blessed it. Right? And so and he said, then it says, then he gave them to the disciples. That's very important because what we're going to see here is an example between what God's part is and our part. It says, then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. What's cool about this story is that Jesus decides... I got a bigger plan. I got a better one. We're going to feed everybody. It's 5,000 men, not including the children, the women. So it was well beyond 5,000, probably more like 20,000 plus. But what's really cool about this is that Jesus has it in his heart to do a big miracle, but not to do it independent of his disciples. Get what I'm saying here. He wanted to do a big miracle. And when it came to doing the big miracle, who did he turn to? his disciples, and he said, you go put it out there. You take these pieces and watch how great a thing I will do through you. Ladies and gentlemen, there's power in partnership. There's power in partnership. There's power in the partnership that you are creating here amongst the body of believers. There's power in partnership with God. There's power in partnership as you study the word of God. There's power in partnership as you do the work of the ministry. There's power. God has called you into partnership. He's doing something great. Let's see how this plays out in our case through the life of Nehemiah. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 1 
through 18. Nehemiah chapter 4. And so starting at verse 1, it says, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry, and he was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And so at this point, what's happening is that the surrounding nations and people are beginning to see that a wall is going up. Something's actually happening. They're making progress. And so how many of you know that when you're building something up, you have to be watchful of those things that threaten to tear it down? And so Tobias and Sembalit begin an onslaught of pure discouragement. They question the strength of the people. They question the, their ability to finish what God had them start. And they question the power for it to remain standing. And Nehemiah does the best thing possible at this time. Hey, sometimes you just have to know when to fight and when to pray. Verse 4, watch Nehemiah's response. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. And so what we see here is that Nehemiah wastes no time going back and forth with them. You know why? Because he had already taken his stand based upon what God had told him he was called to do. I'm not going to be moved by what you say. I'm not going to be moved by what you do. I'm not going to be moved by your intentions and your plans for my life. I'm going to stand right here where God has called me. And so instead of going back and forth, what does he do? He turns it over to God. You know, whenever something's so big that it's out of your control, can I give you a piece of advice? Put it in God's hands. Why fight a fight? that you're not meant to fight. The fight is fixed. The Bible says you already won. And so all you have to do is cash in the winning purse. The victory's already yours. Stand in your authority. And in verses 10 and 12, what we see is this, that Tobias and, Nehemiah, Tobias and, um, and Sambalit continue this, this means of, of, of discouragement. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Let me give you a piece of advice here. When you give ear to the lies of your enemy, the lie becomes your reality. It becomes your reality. It doesn't mean it's true. 
but you begin to carry that out. Nehemiah saw the discouragement of the people and how they grew weakened and its impact on the bigger plan. And instead of casting them aside and replacing them, in other words, saying, you know what, you're no good. Break out. Let me get somebody else here. You know what he does? He reminds them in verse 14, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. You know what's interesting about this? That if you read the story of Nehemiah, what you'll see is that the people of Israel not once draw a sword. Not once do they fight. Not once do they come, in, come out in battle. You know how they fought? Let me tell you how they fought. They continued to build. Some of you, you're so worried about this and that, Mr. and Mrs. Bucket Mouth. You're worried about the noise that you hear based upon your previous experiences. You struggle with your doubts. You're looking at all the pieces to the puzzle and you're wondering how. And you got all that playing in your mind. And in the process of you entertaining that, here's what you're not doing. You're not partnering with God and you're not building anything. Put the pieces together. Pick them up. Pick them up. Because when you pick them up, guess what happens? You got something to work with. You got something to do with your life. It's time for you and I to put the pieces together. As we close here today in verses 16 through 18, let me just read this. It says that from that day on, the people had gotten frustrated. As a matter of fact, it became their, their own language, their own way of thinking. The Bible says that 10 times over they told themselves, wherever you turn to, they're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. They become so convinced that, the, that they were not going to succeed. And Nehemiah reminds them that they will succeed because he knew the one whose will it was for them to succeed. And so in verses 16 through 18, it says that from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held the weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. As we close here today, I want to just encourage you with this final thought. That building what God has called you to requires you protecting the vision and the process. As you're facing what you're facing, you can't let what you see discredit what God has told you. You can't let your past shout louder than what the Word of God declares about your hope and the future that He's giving you in Christ. You can't. We must protect what God has shown us. God has called you to build something big. It's time that we all begin to put the pieces together and build something big with God.
Amen. Amen.